0: This is The Steelheads. Uh, It's a play written by me, Gavin Smith, and it's uh, part of CICK 93.9 Smithers Community Radio. And we got 13 people together who spent about an hour coming up with their own characters together. And then I went away and had four weeks to write a murderous, murdery, generally murdery play featuring those 13 characters. And then we all got back together and everyone acted out the character that they had created.
1: Dear listener, the tale of blood and carnage I'm about to relate to you begins in the rented basement of a legion. There, a cast of villains has assembled, sitting in a circle on folding chairs. Glancing around the room, their leader enters.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm so glad you could come. I am so excited about the illegal acts that we are about to perform together. My name is Fantabulous Fairweather and I will be guiding us through these collective criminal journeys. Just to get us out of the way, right off the bat. Some of you may have noticed my flaming horns and general satanic countenance, my face. Don't be scared. Between you and me, it is a little bit of flair. Appearances are so important in the world of crime, don't you agree? Once you get to know me, you will find that I am the funniest evil mastermind you have ever burgled with. I always like to say I have the face of the devil and the soul of a drama teachers. Now, I'd like to begin every steel stash with a little bit of round of introductions to learn about each other and what we bring to the team. Because we are all here for a reason. So let's get down to the nitty gritties. To my right is Carl with an E. And you probably look at him and his Gucci horse bit loafers and beautiful, beautiful face. And you think that he is the team eye candy. But that you are wrong. And a little bit degrading to Carl with an E. So you shouldn't think that. In fact, Carl is our driver. And he is very, very good at it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Carl, with
3: an E. My name is Carl with an E. Thank you. I was a Formula One driver. My father was a Formula One driver. My mother was a Formula One driver. My whole family is Formula One drivers. I grew up in the seat of a vehicle, and that's where I feel at home. I haven't been able to race ever since I was convicted of manslaughter for cutting the brakes of Giancarlo Ivenucci. It was worth it, though. That guy was a Ubermensch dingus. Now the only thing that gives my life meaning is driving getaway cars in the criminal underworld and wearing really nice clothes. Most days, it's enough. Thank you, Carl with any, Next up is
2: Phineas. Phineas will be our distraction, which is perfect. Because if you have not noticed, Phineas is a fish riding a bicycle or some sort of bicycle fish situation. I actually do not know how to
4: express it. Why don't you just take over, Phineas? My name is Phineas, and I was once like you. A human thinking pointless human thoughts. Do the dishes, go to work, pay for things on the internet, etc. Then one day I bought a goldfish from the pet store and rode home with it in the basket of my bicycle during a thunderstorm, when suddenly I was struck by lightning. I'm sure you can all relate. It could have been any of us. The electric shock fused my human body together with the fish and the bicycle into the form you see before you. evolution through science. Now, I consider myself to be a super-evolved being, incorporating the best of the fish, human, and bicycle species into a single entity that transcends your limited understanding of existence. I don't have hands, though, which has really limited my work opportunities and led me to a life of crime. Mostly, I run interference on bank robberies. That is lovely, Phineas. And next to Phineas is Dennis, wearing the weird little long
2: jacket and scarf. Dennis is our resident whiz kid. Dennis, take off your headphones. Dennis, we are introducing ourselves. It is your turn. Oh, I'm Dennis. I'm currently listening to the American
5: Psycho soundtrack, specifically the song, True Faith by New Order. It's part of my larger project to memorize the track lists to 365 original motion picture soundtracks in the space of a year. Last night was a good night. I memorized the trilogy of soundtracks to Bridget Jones's Diary, its underwhelming sequel, Bridget Jones, Edge of Reason, and the satisfying conclusion... Bridget Jones' baby. As a bonus, on YouTube, I also found the soundtrack to a fanfiction fourth installment called What's Up, Pussy Bridget, which was surprisingly good. It's through attention to detail that I'm able to distract myself from the generally vacant and shallow nature of our <laughs> shared cultural experience. Is that what you had in mind? Why don't you tell
2: us what you're doing here, Dennis?
5: Oh, I'm cracking the safe. Safes are easy to crack safes are actually a lot like movie soundtracks in ways that I prefer not to specify right now. Okay,
2: then. And to our right, this brooding character dressed in a floor-length cape and bat mask is Sue. Take it away, Sue.
6: My name is Sue. My parents were millionaires. Then they were murdered. I grew up in darkness, surrounded by the meaningless wealth of my dead parents. Then, one day, I saw an obscure movie called Batman, The Dark Knight. You probably haven't heard of it. Check out the soundtrack, Dennis. Anyway, I thought, this Batman guy is super relatable. I'm picking up what he's laying down. It turned my life around and gave me a purpose. I spent my entire fortune on bat-themed paraphernalia. Belts, grappling hooks, weird bat helicopters, cars with unnecessary rockets, the whole deal. I actually had to take out quite a large loan for some of it. Question, can we call you a bat named Sue? No. Why? I don't get it. Anyway, the problem I've found is that fighting crime is not really a moneymaker. So, for financial reasons, I've decided to do crime instead. Just on a temporary basis. Then, once I've paid off my loans, I'll switch back to the fighting of crime. I'll be piloting the escape bat jet, and also providing the getaway Batmobile. Unfortunately, I can't drive two things at once, so I've reluctantly allowed the Formula One pretty boy in the fresh press shirt to drive the Batmobile.
3: Watch it,
2: Freak. Don't scratch my ride, babyface. Oh, let's keep it friendly. Next up is the muscle of our operation, Bartu. Bartu is a talking rhinoceros wearing too small of a raincoat. You must have truly fascinating backstory, Bartu. Why don't you tell us about it? I am a very big rhinoceros! Okay, moving on. This grizzled, scared, unshaved, and practically, frankly, dirty person before you is levicalis.
7: The first thing you need to know about being a good thief is this. The rich are weak. They spend money on alarms, gates, security cameras. But they only think of the easy ways into a building. The ways that the soft, comfortable, oat-milk-drinking bourgeois would use to get inside. They don't think of the gritty, hard ways into place. Crawling on your belly through the mud razor wire. Those are the ways into a place that Leviticus can find. Because my life is nothing but grit. Nothing but mud and pain. I'll get the team to where it needs to be, and if I can't, it will only be because I finally met my gruesome end, impaled on a fence spike while blood drips from the hooded lids of my piercing emerald eyes.
5: (sighs) The hat seems
2: unnecessarily graphic. Rounding out our group, we have Jerry Kilkenny. By his slick back hair, bright yellow bow tie, and plastic smell, you might look at Jerry and think, this is a slimy, fast-talking businessman. And not to make him blush, but you are absolutely right. This man who brought us this wonderful opportunity to work together. Why don't you tell us about it, Jerry?
8: And many thanks to you, Fantabulous Fairweather. You really are too kind. So listen up, kids. Every third Saturday of the month, I go to the Bodily Fluids auction down on Terminal Avenue. It's not well attended, so you can find some great deals there. Why, just last spring, I bought a file containing Justin Bieber's sneeze. At least I think it was his sneeze. And resold it for six times what I paid. Really, just a stupendous profit. Anyway, I was there last week, and I saw the deal of the decade go down. This antique dealer named Emma Montgomery she was selling a pint of blood from some Victorian princess. And get this, a buyer paid $10 million for it. Don't ask me why. The hoity-toity rich crowd loves a good vintage blood. A buyer is a guy named Fred Shering, a real weird type, who wears an old-timey English cape and a stovepipe hat. And I happen to hear him explain to the antique dealer how the delivery will go down. She'll be escorted to his castle tonight in an armored vehicle with four armed guards who will wait outside the castle while she delivers the blood to him inside in a small locked safe. So, we just need to get a team inside the house unnoticed, steal the blood upon delivery, distract the guards and make a quick exit. I'll resell the blood on the black market, at which point we split the profits and go our separate ways. Yeah.
2: And there you have it, Leviticus. You will break into the castle, leading a team consisting of Brutu and Dennis. When the blood arrives, Brutus will take it, and by force, if necessary, and Dennis will crack the safe. Phineas will run a destruction outside in front of the armed guards. Leviticus, Brutu, and Dennis will exit the castle during the destruction, and rendezvous with me and Carl with an E and to getaway Batmobile, we'll pick up Phineas on our way out. We expect the guards to give their chase with their vehicles. So we rely on Carl E to drive us to the top of Unnecessary Hill, where Sue and Jerry will be waiting in the bat jet. Carl with an E, you will drive the Batmobile directly inside to the bat jet. And which point Sue will take off? And then we'll make a clean escape. Any
7: questions? Do we have a team name? I prefer to participate in a heist group with some names. The Batflock. R- team Big Rhinoceros!
3: Super Steel Squad. Super Steel Squad? That's a stupid name.
4: What are you, Ten?
3: What's that? Sorry, I can't hear you through your children's Halloween costume. Okay, team. Let's keep brainstorming.
4: How about
2: the Steelheads? Actually i could live with the steelheads
7: agreed
2: okay good enough then steelheads let's get to work
1: dear listener we find ourselves at the estate of fred shearing where antique dealer emma montgomery looks profoundly uncomfortable as four armed guards escort her to the castle door and leave her to enter alone she's wearing a vintage peacoat her brown hair in a short bob she carries in her gloved hand a small safe as she walks into the castle the giant door creaks shut behind her.
9: Good evening. Is anyone here?
10: Ms. Montgomery, come into the hearth room, please.
1: Ms. Montgomery follows the voice, walking down a long hallway and rounding the corner to find Fred Shearing standing before an empty fireplace. The room is cold, and he wears his cape and hat indoors. From under his hat, a large scar is just visible It crosses his right eye. He does not acknowledge her entry other than to gesture with his hand for the other two to step forward out of the shadows. Miss Montgomery recoils in fear at the sight of these two. One is tall and pale with bloodshot eyes, dressed in a well-fitting black cloak that seems to surround him like a fog. He offers a gentle smile, revealing a set of sharp teeth. The other is short, no taller than a cat, but with ape-like arms resting on the ground and covered from head to toe in shaggy purple fur, his golden eyes dazzling under a set of bushy eyebrows.
10: You need not fear, Miss Montgomery. My associates mean you no harm. I asked them to attend so that they could hear from the horse's mouth, so to speak, and with no offense intended to you, the provenance of the blood you're about to deliver to me.
1: Miss Montgomery is not the only one surprised by these two guests. Leviticus, Dennis, and Bertu look on from their hiding place inside a very large china cabinet in the dark corner of the room.
5: Who
7: are these guys? I didn't think there was supposed to be anyone else in the castle. I don't know. Uh, Let's wait to see uh, what's going on uh, before we take the, the
10: blood. Miss Montgomery, I will kindly invite you to divert your attention from my two associates to the matter at hand. You are a well-renowned dealer of antiquities, specializing in antique bloods of origins, both fantastical and historic. I've invited you here precisely because of that expertise. In the safe that you carry is a pint of blood that I have paid no small amount of money to acquire its value to me and my associates rests entirely on the identity of the individual whose veins it once flowed. I ask that you please explain and confirm for my colleagues the origin of the blood that you carry.
9: Of course. My apologies, Mr. Sharing. I hold in my hands a safe containing one imperial pint of the blood of Princess Louisa Carolyn Alberta, Duchess of Argyle, sixth child of Queen Victoria, born in Buckingham Palace, March 1848, deceased, December 1939. This provenance has been confirmed by DNA analysis and maintained through strict chain of custody protocols. Those records are enclosed in the safe. I am, as you mentioned, Mr. Sharing, a professional Acting as a vice regal consort, Princess Louisa spent a great deal of time in Canada. Poor thing. And she is in fact the namesake of Lake Louise. She had a notably mercurial relationship with her husband, the Duke of Argyle and Governor General of Canada, but managed to preserve marital harmony via frequent extended absences. She was, if I may say, a bit of a rebel as far as royalty goes, advancing such novel causes as tourism and feminism.
11: She was also a woman of great beauty.
9: Ah, you've seen her portraits.
11: No, no, I have not.
9: Hmm. Well, my apologies again, Mr. Sharing. I realize that we have skipped over introductions with your two guests. I do not know your interest in Princess Louisa, nor even your names. Names jinx. You don't have to be polite. You're thinking, is this
12: a Furby? Am I talking to a Furby? I get that a lot. Furby? I assure you, I... The look on your face tells me you don't know what I'm talking about, so I'm going to assume you don't understand the cultural reference and move on. I don't have an interest in Princess Louisa. I'm not a monarchist myself, although 200 years ago I did live for a spell in the forests of Abergilde Estate, eating red squirrels and... The occasional royal hunting dog. And I have to say, I could get used to the lifestyle. But look at me, I'm rambling already. What I do have an interest in is this tall glass of water next to me, who is my longtime partner and nocturnal shenanigans and all-around best friend. He doesn't actually have a name anymore, which gets awkward after the first decade or two, so I just call him the Ageless One. Or the A.O. for short. I used to call him the Ageless Coachman, which I thought was cooler, but after air conditioning was invented, the AC acronym didn't really strike the same tone of blood-curdling fear anymore, so I switched it up. Anyway, here we are on personal business for the A.O. You want to take it from here, buddy?
11: I so seldom speak of my past. It comes strangely to me. Yes. Yes. It is I who has an interest in Princess Louisa. I was her coachman, but I was so much more. It was the summer of 1879, a young man of 23. I had been hired as a driver to the Princess for her tour of British Columbia. She was clear-eyed, brazen woman, full of life, chafing against the constraints of her era and the role she was required to play within it. The protocols were quite strict for a royal coachman and speaking to passengers was absolutely forbidden. But we were often in remote locations and she would come find me while I was tending to the horses, ask me questions about my life. She had disarmingly sad curiosity about her and, I was spellbound. One evening, while we were speaking by a hitching post under a tree, she interrupted me to kiss me on the mouth. Over a period of two weeks, we would meet nightly and find secluded places by the creeks, in the forest groves, even in barns. She was the first woman I'd ever lain with. As it turned out, she was also the last. On the final stop of our journey, as I walked from the stable to my room, a shape descended upon me in the darkness and tore into my neck. I was left for dead, but I did not die. That night, I rose from my old life into a new one, a life of eternal hunger, a life of waking in the woods at midnight wandering without end through alleyways and strangers' gardens, haggard, occasionally stealing vegetables, but deriving little pleasure from them, ready as I was for blood. When I did not return to my coach the morning after my transformation, the Royal Party stayed for days trying to locate me without success. Eventually, they hired a coachman and moved on. The royal party left at twilight and I sat perched in the wooded shadows, waiting for a glimpse of Louisa through her coach window. I saw her only briefly gently weeping as her coach rounded the corner and she left my life forever. I did not seek her out again. As the years passed, I knew she was growing old, moving inevitably towards the grave, while I hovered in suspended animation of my cursed state. Yet I think of her still with love.
9: (laughs)
12: No, that story never gets easy to hear.
9: I mean, what a bummer, am I right? I'm quite at a loss for words, Mr. A.O.
10: I have acquired this blood, Ms. Montgomery, to provide it to my two associates here, but not for free. Oh, no, there is a heavy cost. I require them to kill my troublesome nephew, Alfonso. He lurks through this castle as if it were his own, raiding my wine cellar, depleting my specialty cheeses. The only time he mercifully leaves is to attend meat draws at the Legion, Alfonso, as the youth are inclined to say, is a deadbeat. I'm quite certain he is scheming to inherit my estate, and I will not have it. When I learned of this most compelling opportunity to engage the services of my two associates here for the purposes of his nefarious murder, I leapt at the chance.
9: I'm not really sure you should be telling me this, Mr. Shetty. And now,
10: Miss Montgomery, kindly, Hand me the blood. That's our cue. Uh,
7: Sorry, Mr. Fancy Hat, but we'll be taking the blood from you.
10: What the blazes? Who are you three? How have you emerged from my china cabinet? And why
1: is one of you a rhinoceros?
7: Uh, No time to talk. Bertu, take the blood.
1: Bertu steps forward and swiftly claps his giant rhinoceros hands on either side of Fred Shearing's head. Mr. Shearing's head explodes and his brains erupt directly upward in a volcanic fashion, splattering the ceiling with gore. His headless body drops to his knees and crumples in a heap.
5: Wow, that was excessive. You didn't even try to take the blood first. I'm told not time to talk.
7: So confusing. Dennis, here's the safe. Open it.
11: My friends, I suspect you've heard my story from your hiding place in the cabinet. I will ask you once kindly... As fellow humans and human-adjacent creatures, give me the blood. I will not ask a second time. You
12: should listen to him. I know he seems very polite, but he descends into murderous rage surprisingly quickly. Then that gets me all amped up, and I usually get kind of snacky for raw flesh. Trust me, it's best for you to just avoid the whole thing and give him the blood. Hey, everyone. I opened
5: the safe. Can we all just please acknowledge how quickly that happened?
7: Good. Uh, We don't have time to waste on these two. Bertu, take care of them. Let's go.
1: Bertu again steps forward and claps his hands at the head of the Ageless One. With lightning speed, the Ageless One draws two daggers from his cloak and holds them upright, severing both of Bertu's hands as they swung upwards towards him. Bertu lurches forward, howling in pain. (coughs) And with a fluid motion, the Ageless One thrusts both daggers upwards under Bertie's chin and into his skull. The rhinoceros drops to the ground with a thud. Dead.
12: Like I said, you should have listened to him. I'm going to eat your face now.
1: Jinx launches into the air and lands on the face of Leviticus, aggressively munching and slurping while Leviticus waves their arms wildly and stumbles around. When Jinx looks up, covered in blood, there was nothing but a black hole where the face of Leviticus used to be. Miss Montgomery faints. Dennis sprints down the hall with blood, shouting into a radio communicator.
5: Things are not going well. I have the blood, but I am the only one left, running away from this crazy hand-severing, face-eating stranger. Phineas! Launch the distraction! Carl, start the car! Do all the things! We need to go!
1: Waiting in the Batmobile outside the castle, the steelhead getaway team of Carl, Phineas, and the fantabulous Fairweather receive the news from Dennis with confusion and concern.
4: Did Dennis say face eating? Whose face was eaten? That doesn't sound good. Phineas, you heard Dennis. Run your distraction to get the guards out of the way so
3: Dennis can get out of the castle. Right. Here I go. Watch me work my magic. Uh, Dennis, this is Carl on the radio. How close are you to the castle door?
5: I'm running to the hallway.
3: Almost at the door. Okay, I'm going to be your eyes so you know when you can leave the castle. Phineas is now cycling past the guards. She's making some kind of fish noise. The guards look confused. The guards are following Phineas. Now's your chance. Wait. Something just dropped from the sky and severed the heads of all four guards at once. It's some kind of cloaked freak. He just opened his cloak and something jumped out towards Phineas. Is that a Furby? The Furby is in front of Phineas. She's trying to swerve around, but the Furby just put a stick in Phineas's spokes. She's down! Phineas is lying on the ground. The Furby is approaching. Oh my god! It's the fading of tires, the humanity! Now the Furby is gutting and filling. Phineas. This is hard to watch. Not too hard. Dennis, you need to get to the Bumblebee now. I- I'm already here. Let's go.
2: Jerry, do you read me on the play? This is fantastic Fair weathers in the getaway car. Yes, you're coming
6: through on the bat radio. I can't stress this enough though that we should be using the terms bat jet and batmobile. I didn't pay to put bats on everything just for people to use a regular boring names.
2: Right, sorry. So things are not going to plan. In a sense, some of our teams, they are less alive than when we started. But we are approaching the bat jet now and we will need you to take off immediately when we are inside.
5: It's possible that we're being followed by Dracula and a fur bee, which is a lot more dangerous than it sounds.
1: I see you. I started the bat ending. The Batmobile's skidding at a dizzying speed around the switchback corners of Unnecessary Hill, all the way to the top where the Bat-Jet sits idling. When they round the final corner, Carl accelerates directly into the open cargo hangar of the Batjet and screeches to a halt at the last possible second, the nose of the Batmobile just centimeters from the wall of the hangar.
3: Okay, we're inside. Go ahead and take off. Don't tell me what to do. I was already doing that anyway.
1: The Batjet rises up from unnecessary hill, and with a blinding flash, it takes off towards the mountains at an incredible speed.
2: Well, I must say, bravo, steelheads! We have the blood, and the getaway was simply exquisite. Aside from the gruesome killings of several team members, things have gone entirely to plan. I think we can chalk this one
8: as a win. Folks, from the window seat up here in the cockpit, I'm seeing a flying shadow drop a purple football onto the wing. That seems like a bad thing, right? The purple football is ripping out and eating some wires. Now it's eating something inside the engine. Now the football is breaking through a window in the cargo hangar and reaching inside. Oh, and it's, it's got something. It looks, it looks like the blood. Yes, it has the blood. Oh, and it's dropping Dennis out the window. I'm going to go ahead and independently confirm that a bad thing is happening on the cargo deck.
6: Bat radio dead. Bat admins down. Bat parachute non-responsive. All bat systems compromised.
1: To bystanders watching from afar, the fiery end of the steelheads is a thing of strange beauty, a small blip in the night careening towards the mountains and burst like fireworks, sending orange tendrils of flame in all directions. Then, as quickly as it happened, the light was gone, and nothing but a faint cloud of black smoke was left, drifting upwards against the dark outline of the mountain peaks. Dear Listener, For the final chapter of this tale, we find ourselves once more in the hearth room of Fred Shearing, where the Ageless One and Jinx sit on a couch across from Emma Montgomery, surrounded by several corpses. The Ageless One pours from the vial of blood into a wine glass and holds it aloft.
11: My friends, a toast to undying love.
9: Wait. Am I to understand that after all this, you intend to drink the blood of Princess Louise?
11: Well, of course. What else would I do with it? (laughs) Oh. Oh, dear Louisa. I haven't felt this close to you since the summer of 1879. You are as ever a thing of rare beauty. Would anyone else care to try?
12: Ooh, ooh, me! There's nothing like a vintage blood, so much more refined in flavor than modern blood spoiled, as it is with various chemicals and corn syrups and the like. Oh heck yes, that's good! Emma, you want some?
9: I'm quite sure that I do not. Thank you.
12: You don't know what you're missing. There's something very complex about royal blood. It tastes a bit like fermenting pheasants. This is a good one. Alfonso, what about you? Want a little taste of royalty?
1: I accept the glass from Jinx. After all, you only live once. That's right, dear listener. Your humble narrator is none other than Alfonso, underappreciated nephew of Fred Shearing. My uncle had one thing right about me, I do lurk, and those who lurk, see. I have seen this strange and bloody tale from the shadows. Now in my newly inherited castle, I have emerged from those shadows, and I feel like a drink to celebrate. I raise the glass to my lips and smile, who's a deadbeat now, Uncle Fred?
9: Laura Guillon, Emma Montgomery.
1: David McTavish, narrator and Alfonso. Quinn McCord, the ageless one.
7: River Wild,
5: Leviticus. Pam Hassan,
10: Dennis. Brendan Barlow, Fred Sherring,
2: Carly Quinn, Sue. Angelita Knorr, the fantabulous fairweather.
3: Gavin Smith. Can White Carl with an E? Christine Bruce Phineas,
4: Megan Brady Jinx, and your tech guy Daisy Tech.
0: My name Gavin Smith, and you've been listening to the Steelheads. I went away and had four weeks to write a murderous, murdery, generally murdery play featuring those thirteen characters, and then we all got back together, and everyone acted out the character that they had created. You've been listening to The Steelheads, a Halloween play for CICK 93.9, Smithers Community Radio. Good job. (laughs) Nailed it.